Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Ramen Movement. We have um, a special guest joining us today. Our regular host, Mr. Brantley, is gone off on vacation. So it's me, Davette Jones. So will be hosting a little bit for us today. And we have the infamous Mr. Carrick Taylor in the house with us. Hola. Hola. Happy How... Cinco de Mayo, everyone. Ah, Cinco so, de Mayo. So Cheers. <laughs> so I'll good. drink to that. Excellent, excellent. And we also have our special guest, Mr. Doug Minter, in the house joining us today. Tell them what's going on with you, Doug. Hey, I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Man, when I call out my friend and I told him, I really want you to come by and talk to my business owner friends. He came all the way from the Canada to see us. So I'm super excited about that because I like having friends in high places. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the song, having them in low places. Exactly. 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 So we're going to just kind of jump on here and talk about a couple of ideas and concepts. Doug, do you mind just kind of giving everybody a little introduction about yourself? You know, I could say Doug's from the chamber, but I don't think that does enough uh, service. I think you need to give us a quick little introduction on your story. What do you want people to know about you? Um, so, grew up in Oak Ridge. I was born in Knoxville, grew up in Oak Ridge, went to Oak Ridge High School, and... Um, after my first two years in, in college, I went to Marine Corps and um, finished up my degree at UT, had a brief pause for the, for the cause and um, was in Operation Desert Storm and so came back, finished up at UT and then the entrepreneur bug hit me. Cool, cool, cool. So brought, brought valet parking to Knoxville. And um, wait, what? Yeah, so um, my partner mm -hmm. and I had a firm called Silver Cloud Valet, so we were mm -hmm. the first official valet parking company in Knoxville. Excellent. So we did majority of the old city when <clears throat> downtown hadn't been redeveloped yet, mm -hmm. and the old city was kind of the place where you went. Yeah. Downtown, right? Yeah. So, a lot of some of the old heads may remember who raised in the underground and oh yeah lord Lindsay's mm -hmm. all those places so we valet parked for all of those places and uh uh it was really good it was, it was a cool that was my first entree into entrepreneurship so got my feet wet there did that for about three years we grew it from it was just the two of us and it, you know by the time i left the company we had 60 employees that's awesome. So it, was, yeah, it was a cool, cool deal. It was a really interesting opportunity to watch Knoxville grow while we were growing that company. Because then, you know, our first building was, our office was in um, one of the first redeveloped old buildings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That so, renovation. Yeah, yeah. So I got to learn a lot about that piece and... Um, then uh, after that, I went to work for a brief time with First Data Corporation, and then uh, my uncle kind of convinced me to come over and give him some help, Casey Jones, to help run his insurance agency, and then I bought that agency in 2005. What's going on, bro? What's going on? How you doing? Good. Marcus, Doug, Doug, Marcus. We met. Yeah, good to meet you. Awesome. And awesome. Then, um, ran the, <clears throat> took over the agency in 2005 and sold it in 2008. So, and as a part of a leadership Knoxville project, I was working with the Knoxville Chamber. And in working with the Knoxville Chamber on a project with leadership Knoxville, I just fell in love with their economic development process. And, uh, soon you know struck a deal with them and the rest is history perfect perfect well that's that's a that's a great story now how many businesses per se have you had in the course of your career i know you told us that you brought ballet yeah, three to or four. the area three or four yeah three or four and then 
Um, my fiance and I have a company up in Canada. Um, so, yeah. Perfect, perfect. So, what's going to be the next big venture for you? I don't know. I think, I, you know, I love helping other entrepreneurs. I mean, I got a, like, sincere, God-given passion for that. Like, that, that does it for me. Awesome. Right. So, you know, to the extent that um, I can continue doing that, mm -hmm. that and express that internationally would be cool. Um, I really, I think there's there's a, especially with black entrepreneurs, especially in Canada and, you know, places like Atlanta, you know, cities like Austin, you know, even Detroit, um, places around the, the United States. There's a black renaissance going on. I don't hear very many people talking about that, um, but it's happening. Um, there's a consciousness. Um, there's, always, there's always this kind of 10-year consciousness that happens, right? So when, I, when we were in college, I don't know how young you guys are, but when I was in college, it was the Malcolm X movie had come out and Do the Right Thing had come out and that whole 90s like 90, piece. 92. Yeah, that whole 90s movement kind of, that was that consciousness that we kind of adopted, right? Mm -hmm. Today, with technology and these phones and everything else and the, the ability to be able to leverage yourself um, internationally on your phone, right? You know, there, there is the opportunity for you to launch any kind of business you want from right here. And that technology we didn't have access to. So for us, it was, we were more, the consciousness was more social mm -hmm. and more um, about groups, mm -hmm. right? Because when we came up in college, you had to be in something. Right. It was either band a fraternity, sports, something. Mm -hmm. That the group identity was the piece that kind of brought us through that. Now it's the entrepreneur identity, and especially within um, um, black culture. And I, I that is a historic, cool piece that you know we call Atlanta the black mecca. And so it's been geographically centered. This, this black renaissance has been geographically centered in certain places in the country. You go to New York, okay, Harlem went through this new renaissance and redevelopment and all this kind of stuff. And then Atlanta just exploded on the market as the best place for black people and all the migration that happened to Atlanta. Well, right? A lot of the people in Atlanta are move-ins. You know, yeah, they're, they're yeah, they're yeah, they don't even, yeah, you don't even find, homegrown. right, you don't even find native Atlanteans anymore, uh, mm -hmm. right? It's just it's everybody's true. from somewhere else. And, you know, the whole movement to, you know, Silicon Valley. Right. Now you have this black tech movement, so, you know, those of us are going out there to try to express ourselves. Houston is a huge market. See, Houston flies under the radar, I think. Houston, Houston is probably one of the best places in this country to, for, for pretty much any kind of entrepreneur, <laughs> anything. It's just a hub, right? And it's quiet, but there's a consciousness there. And so now you don't have to be geographically centered anymore mm -hmm. to be a part of this movement. You could just put up a shingle, make sure you got quality products, you know, and then express your network. Definitely. And the same things happen in Canada. The difference in Canada, though, is they don't have legacy. Mm. So when you start talking about organizations that support entrepreneurs, you got the Urban League, you've mm -hmm. got Small Business Development Centers, the SBA, uh, you know, I can score. Right. You know, you got all the universities, you got all this stuff and chambers of commerce. Mm -hmm. and you got all this this ecosystem, right, that's been around forever that supports that growth. In Canada, you don't have those legacy mm -hmm. agencies. And so, but you do have a huge immigrant population that's highly, highly intelligent, mm -hmm. that's well-schooled, well-educated, mm -hmm. and they have drive. 
So what you have is this huge workforce that, you know, in the 1970s, there were, I don't know, 34,000 black Canadians, mm -hmm. early 70s, late 60s. There are only 33,000 blacks that escaped out of 4 million that escaped the Underground Railroad and made it to Canada. Those are numbers we're not real familiar with. Hmm. We all were raised with the stories of the Underground Railroad. Right. right. But we don't realize only a few of us made it. Right. And those numbers didn't increase that much because a lot of people exited as soon as the Emancipation Proclamation. But now you look at Canada, they got 1.3, roughly 1.3 million blacks all through Canada, the bulk of them being in Toronto and Ottawa. Okay. And then the rest in Montreal and it's the other sprinkled out throughout the other provinces. So what that does is you've got 1.3 million people. It's a lot of people who are highly educated, 90% of which own a home. So this is an upper echelon of mm -hmm. people that are ready for the workforce, employable, or ready to go into entrepreneurship. That's a renaissance Absolutely. to me. And that's a northern renaissance. Yeah. And so I think the thing that we have to do is all of us that are in the black diaspora, whether you're Afro-Mexican, Afro-American, Canadian, regardless of where you came from, there's 400 million of us sprung out all over the world because of slavery. So we're the generations of you know, those ancestors, right? right? You unite those people together around entrepreneurship and it is you take over the a world. huge, huge deal. Um, and I, I think so to the extent that we can, you know, get rid of our individual baggage as a collective, as a group of black people, people of, black, of African descent, if we can get rid of the things that cut us apart, mm -hmm. right, then the business piece becomes really interesting because in Canada, for instance, the very things we lack, they have in many industries. The very things we need, uh, they need, we have. For instance, they don't have very many black hair care businesses. Okay. So to the extent that, you know, like the new place they went up in Nashville, that right. lines are going out, the, they're still... Beauty supply store. Yeah. yeah, there's a demand. So if they were able to partner, if a small beauty supply place in Toronto was able to partner with a firm here mm -hmm. and leverage that, then all of a sudden, capacity. Sure. Because that's what hurts us, is, is building that capacity. And there's only two ways, to, two or three ways to get capacity. You either buy it, you organically grow into it, Right. Which takes forever. It does. Or you partner. That's it. Right. What do you feel is the easiest? Is partnership the easiest? Well, I don't, I don't know that any one of them are any... I think, you know, acquisition is the typical capitalistic... Well, really. So, so somebody's got to either yeah. buy it in terms of machinery or people or labor or whatever. Somebody's got to buy it or they have to grow it. If you're gonna, that third option is only for that person that just happens upon the situation, right? To partner with somebody else who already did one of those other two things. Yeah, but I think, I think, I think, but see, that's where, I, yeah, you're right to a degree, but I think we need to be intentional about the partnerships. Sure. For instance, so if I'm in another country, so if I'm going to Canada and I say, hey, I got a hair care place in Nashville, you got a place in Toronto. Let's let's sit down and have a conversation about what does that partnership look like, mm -hmm. right? What does that merger look like? Because the partnership allows you to date until you get married, right? Until you make that acquisition, right? Let's see if we can make some money together. Mm -hmm. I got some products you don't have access to, right? And I need a market, someplace that I can sell the products that I have. And I need a market, and I don't. I may not have a, you know, maybe people aren't buying whatever it is because I don't have enough African people. Right in this immediate area. So the palette, the buying palette of Africans is totally different than the buying pattern of blacks in America. Mm. Totally different palette of things that they buy. So if they're wanting, I got all this shea butter. 
and all this coconut oil and I got all this stuff. I bought this inventory thinking y'all would buy this natural stuff because you said you want natural, but you keep buying the weave and the other products. And I got all this inventory. I'm like, hey, man, can you sell this? I'm like, where'd you get that from? I got it straight from Ghana. Got the hookup. Partner mine. But I can't sell it here. Oh, it's gone. It's off the shelf in Toronto. Mm. Because they're looking for that kind of product. Lord, you're talking about finding somebody in Toronto. I'm thinking, how can I get an import-export? Exactly. And so, and so, (laughs) exactly. So that's, see, that's, that's, that's the piece, right? I got a business deal for you. You want to sell bundles? Y'all need bundles? (laughs) (laughs) No, I actually do have a business. Bundles. Hair wig. Oh, no, I don't. I mean, you just said that they want to buy the. No, but that, that's what I'm saying. But but I here's the deal. But the Koreans really have a lock on that. So, but 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 here's the deal. I think we need to look at partnering with each other because we are everywhere, mm-hmm. and we want and we have a desire to look at those opportunities, right? And it has to be good business. You don't just partner just because we're black. We partner because it's good business. But it's a network that we benefit from culturally. Definitely. Right? It's just a natural network if you if you if those networks are built. The yeah. problem is we haven't been trade and import export hasn't been the conversation at the dinner table for most of us as kids. Right. It, it's not even else. it's not even mm-hmm. something we even look oh, that's something they do and it's hard and it's complex and uh, But that's the conversations you know. we need to have. I mean, looking at this Everything is globalized. I mean, it's yeah. not like they only use your phones in the U.S. No, I'm sure that they're used outside of the U.S. Oh, as yeah. well. Let's see what we your got cars here. are used outside Let's of the see. U.S. Designed in California. Uh huh. Built in China by Foxconn iPhone. Exactly. Right. Samsung Korean. Right. Right. Another iPhone and another Samsung. So there you now, go. That's three countries right, right there. They're sitting on the table. Right. And and, and mind you, we're not marketing to any of those countries, and we should. Be. I mean, I think from our business models, we have to have that mind frame of like, what can I do or what can I sell or how can I be? And even even the desire of we want to travel to these countries like you want to go to Korea and just hang out and see the sights and things of that nature. Being able to take your business model and figure out what it is that they want and go make a trip or a vacation, find out what it is that they want and what they're looking for and fill a need. And I think that's the one thing about entrepreneurs is we all solve problems and because we come from a different dynamic. You got me looking to take a trip to Toronto. Man, well, but think, think about it. <laughs> well, but, th- but see, look at it. So, but see, here's it. But here's, but here's the here's the value proposition that doesn't make this just some crap that Doug Mitchell said. I know these chocolates these are, but thank you. Yeah, I, mean, they were, I already You're tore into them. Really <laughs> but it, here's what take makes this argument doable for somebody on the east side who has no concept of. How can I get there? They may have the desire and the passion to drive and the product. Sorry, hon. But they're like, ah, that just seems too distant for me. No. Let me tell you why. Canada's our largest trading partner. They are the U.S.'s largest trading partner. Yeah. Let me say that again. Canada is our largest trading partner. They need us. They already have the need built into the DNA of the country. Mm -hmm. There are things that they cannot survive without us. It's a North American thing. Right. And Mexico is in the same boat. And keep in mind, there's 4 million Afro-Mexicans. So you talk about which you need to be speaking a language. Mm -hmm. Speak French so you can go to Montreal and speak with them. Speak Spanish so you can go to Mexico and speak with them. Because there are people that look like us throughout the entire planet. That's a built-in cultural network that we need to take advantage of. And you're talking about up I-75, 12-hour drive, or get on a plane and in, you know, four hours you're in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's happening why I said there's a black renaissance in Canada is one of the things that's happening is these organizations are starting to mature. They're starting to, they just launched the Canadian Black Chamber of Commerce. I've seen your picture. Nationwide, right? And so I've been mentoring them, trying to, you know, give them guidance on what, what, what does that look like, 
right? What do they need to be doing? Well, where's that based out of? Is it based Toronto. Out of Toronto? Yeah. And so it covers the entire country. Vancouver. Yeah, they're, and they're building chapters. And so they've got teams of people that are interested in, you know, hey, so we want to. Is it state sponsored or no. is it private? No. Private. It's private nonprofit. It's just nonprofit. And so one of the things that, that their team alerted me is like, hey, we've got some people in Ottawa, which is the capital of mm -hmm. um, Canada, that are looking at creating an African trade desk. Mm -hmm. So you can go to this African trade desk, say, pitch your products to the African trade desk. The African trade desk says, here's what our network said we need. Mm -hmm. Here's the needs that are coming out of Africa. And here is what you can provide, right? And and so that to me is a cool deal. So yeah. that and that's catering to Africans. That's catering like to anybody. That, African that caters to anybody that wants to do business in Africa. Okay, in Africa. Right? Mm -hmm. And it also talks about the African network within Canada. Mm -hmm. So you know you've got the United Nations in Canada. Mm -hmm. Right, and so instead of it being this, you know, you don't have this monolithic kind of view of blackness. It's a little bit, it's 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 the full view of what it means to be black in the world. Rwanda, the viewpoints of people from Ivory Coast, the viewpoints of people from Cape Verde, the viewpoints of people from Rwanda, Uganda, Nigeria, Angola, Brazil. Afro Mexico, it's it's the whole of us, the black diaspora, right? And the diaspora is just you know term that just represents the group of people who were forced to leave Africa and spread out all over the world. You have black Londoners, right? Right? You got black folk in Australia. You got yeah, black people everywhere. everywhere. We're everywhere. Everywhere. China. It doesn't matter. We were spread across the world. And there's this whole initiative that was started in 2015, the UN Decade of People of African Descent. So there's a decree. You guys need to check that out. Um, but that's the, the next 10 years is all focused around people of African descent and development, making sure that, one, there's a network. So how can I do business in Brazil? I don't mm -hmm. know how to do that. Well, what's, where's the network? Where's the infrastructure? For that, mm -hmm. Right? Who's going to teach me how to do that? And in the ecosystem right now, you can learn some of that. Right? You can learn that. But what you got to have when you learn that, you also need a network. Right. And that's why we need to be opening ourselves to um, a broader view of blackness um, so that we can have access to those networks. So with those network opportunities, I mean, what is that looking like? Is that um, something that we can be trained on? Is there education? Like, what's going to be the most effective way to to take value from this, the, the opportunity? I think the first step is we have a Commerce Department uh, representative at the chamber. His name is Rob Leach. Mm -hmm. I would tell people... Just the chamber to, here locally? Yeah, okay. yeah. You go there. His office right next to mine. I would go there and just sit with him. Okay. Just get a meeting with him just to understand, okay, who's buying my products? Because they have a software system. Now, he primarily deals with um, uh, only exporting, not importing. Okay. Right? Federal government wants more exports than they do imports. Yeah, so they're a little ticked off about that import thing. Yeah, import thing's not something he can really <laughs> help you with. But he can help you if you want to sell your products to another country. He can say... Okay, what's your product? Oh, I make fishing rods. Mm -hmm. Okay, he can go in there and go, yep, Canada's our number one buyer of fishing rods in the United States. So that's okay. some sort of, I guess that's like some sort of federal database. Yeah, they have a database. The, the that, countries mm -hmm. and what products they purchase. And what, and what pro products that they purchase from us. Right. And so you could go in there and say, well, what's your product? I make watches. Okay. Brazil might be the place that buys all the watches from us. Gotcha. Right? Or the number one buyer of that. We export that to them. And so... But can he tell you who else is exporting to those countries too? Absolutely. Because that would be... 
I mean, that's yeah. always good to know who the competition is. Yeah, I think I think to some degree, I you know, but again, you want to know which companies are buying, and who are the people that I need to start building that that network. Right. Because I tell people all the time, you can have the best product in the world, and you can have great marketing. But you got to spend just almost as if, if as much time, if not more, on your network building as your product itself. So we did a show. What was it? Two weeks ago, maybe. Okay. Three weeks ago about networking. Yes. Right. So when you talk about networking, I think just, I just saw kinda, that. Yeah, I, th- I think you did too. So just kind of fill that out. Like, what do you, what do you mean by network specifically? Well, the network is, you know. Obviously, as a startup, it's going to be near you, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so friends, families, fools type of thing, right? Once you start expanding that out, you have to choose where your client is. Once you know who your client is, then where does your client live, sleep, eat, breathe? you got to go to where that client is. The clients will tell you where they live and eat and breathe, Right. So it just depends on your product, right? But the short answer to that is you want to express yourself as far as you can that you can implement that distance. As far as you got capacity for. As far as you have capacity for, right? And then once you exceed your capacity, that's where these partnerships start making sense. It's like, wait a minute, let me see if shea butter will work in Canada. It's expensive to ship there. So if I have a partnership with this entity, we may be able to get a waiver on the shipping cost or some of the taxes or all of that stuff. So what you want is you want people in place to help you test those ideas. And they can test those ideas where you, you know, where they are. Right. And that's, that's where partnerships are cool. Hey, man, let me put four or five of these products on your shelf and just see how they do. And if they do really well, I'll cut you in to this amount. Because that's one that's less inventory they have to worry about. But then they got this new product. And if there's enough margin in there where you can share, then we both make money. And everybody's happy. Yeah, it's a, I mean, but you know, again, but if you're moving containers and importing containers, it's it's a it's 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 not an easy deal. Well, in, in terms of import export, because you got time. Can, Canada is probably the, one of the easier. targets. It's one of the easier targets right? because you're because, not going across the sea. Right. As soon and, as you go across they, the Atlantic, that's and, three weeks. And they speak the language. And they speak the. Language. And three three weeks across an ocean is optimistic, right? Right. I, I mean, if you're going across the Pacific, or if you're going across the Pacific, you're looking at six weeks at a dead minimum. There was a, sometimes it sometimes it'd be as far as four months. Yeah, so my fiance lives in the Azores Islands, which is above northern Africa, right across from Europe. It's kind of the Hawaii of Europe, right? Sounds like a place I need to go. It's beautiful. But anyway, <laughs> she was gonna ship we were we wanted to ship some clothes to give to some people that needed it, you know, there. Yeah. We were gonna ship some box clothes over to the islands. DHL is like four hundred some dollars, right? And the only way to really adequately save that cost is to put it as cargo on the sh- on the plane. Well, that was savvy. Like it went down to like sixty bucks. Yeah, right. So four hundred to ship it, six hundred to go off the plane. Because DHL is going off volume, exactly. right? And how much volume do they really have going to those islands? Right. Right. So then they, right. they it's a hard make a place to get to. Yeah, they yeah. got to make a special trip, but it's actually a popular island. Yeah. But still, it's difficult to mail stuff back and forth. Yeah, it's not exactly London. Right. 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 <laughs> it's not a. It's not Heathrow. Right. right. <laughs> so <laughs> so so, but it's all of those tactics are difficult, but. The thing is, as soon as I talked to somebody from there, and I was like, hey, I'm trying to ship this stuff there. And they're like, oh, just put it on the plane. They've already figured it out. So, again, to me, it's about having a network of people that are comfortable with you as an individual, the quality of your product. And then they're also comfortable in where they are because both of you, both of those brains together, it's like, oh, you don't need to do that. Do it this way. Sure. 
So what are the so opportunities I, I, you see? I mean, as far as the products and things that would probably need to be shipped to. That, yeah, that I don't know. I don't okay. want to speak about something that I don't really sure. know. But no problem. I, just my lens, mm-hmm. it's everything. Everything. Yeah, so it's we, literally, yeah, it's this literally. Is entrepreneurship takes over. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah, watch yeah. it, get on a plane, go to Toronto, <laughs> find out for yourself. Yeah, I mean, yes. well, I think what you the new black you, renaissance. Go yeah, get it. I mean, and, and I think, but I think this renaissance is not just happening in Canada. I think it's happening here. Because here in the U.S. Look at the here in Knoxville? Yes. Everywhere that there are black people, okay. there is a renaissance happening. Because of the consciousness around entrepreneurship is at the highest level I have ever seen. It should be. Uh, I mean, probably pre post reconstruction. Reconstruction, there was a consciousness around entrepreneurship that was amazing, and we are now, we're just now trying to make up for that loss of places like Tulsa. That were burned to the Black Wall Street. Yeah, sure. places like Williamton, North Carolina, and, 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 and so we don't, we're not conscious of that loss well, because it was so long ago in in our lifetimes that that loss hurt each and every one of us because we should have been talking. If those losses had never happened, you never burnt down Black Wall Street, you never burned down Wilmington, you never burned down. Knoxville had riots and all these riots and lynchings and stuff that happened and then urban renewal and all the different things that happened you know Jim Crow, Jim Crow Esquire all the different things that have happened to us prior to our emergence in the world right so we're just kind of this new crop of conscious people our parents held that but they they I don't know. I, I, I they never, were swayed by the jobs. I mean, you yeah, they, 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 they didn't really they didn't rock the boat because they economy. were trying to they were trying to say, look, I'm trying to make sure yeah, I survive. Said, don't rock the boat. Yeah, don't right. rock the boat. Don't say anything because boat. we're trying yeah. to make sure but he came we out survive. Of the Great so uh, no, 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 yeah. no, Great Depression. He he came out of post post antebellum Alabama. Oh wow, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> we ways before the Great yeah, Depression. Okay, he said, don't rock the boat. Yeah, because because it was about survival. Yeah. Right sure. now, it's about not just well, about. Now these are a dynamic between it being raised in the South and, like you said, there was a dynamic that said, if "Don't you, rock the boat." Versus, if you were south of Ontario, mm-hmm. you were in the South. If you were south of Canada, you were south. But you think about well, Tulsa. I, see, I don't think though. I I don't think. How do I say this? Um, when it comes to a renaissance, as far as entrepreneurship. Yeah. I don't think it's limited necessarily to black people for a couple of reasons, right? People are coming out of college with so much student loan debt, right? And so people behind, like people yeah. my age have all this debt or maybe maybe like five years younger, like 30, 35, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and so they're, they're then 20-year-olds are looking that. at like, I'm not yeah, doing that. Yeah, and so yeah, they're, they're going yeah, off to doing, yeah, they're going yeah. off to try to do their own thing. Absolutely. Right, and so you see, all you have to do is scroll through your Facebook news feed. You're going to find somebody that's doing a blog or trying to sell you something. I had somebody try to sell me a product for my wife. I'm not even married. I was like, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't have any use for that, but you know. It, and so I think it's gonna be that uh, that the scope just has to be broadened to to just people in general that want to do more things on an entrepreneurial front. I'll, yeah, I say that I, I said that from a black lens only from the standpoint of the the inequities and the disparity. As far as when I look at entrepreneurial numbers and when I look at where we are, um, when I look at the social justice piece. Mm-hmm. We have to claim a black renaissance in order to live through that because I think entrepreneurship is the great equalizer. Well, yeah. And I think it's the great unifier of the races. Because right, likes to make money. I mean, right. who don't like to make money? <laughs> and, money. And so the that's I mean, my money. some green. of my best yeah. relationships. <laughs> you know, my like best. Green faces yeah. Else. Absolutely. Yeah, my, some of my best relationships. My favorite have been, president that's not yeah, a president. <laughs> have, have come out of, hey, you know. I understand society's got an issue, but if me and you partner, we I add your capacity, you grow my capacity. Let's go make this money. Let's go make this money. <laughs> and so it is. It to me, it's not a either and. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- I think to me, entrepreneurs should want a black renaissance because that's just more opportunities. Sure. To me, that's sure. more opportunities. You know, my friend Jorge, who's Hispanic, 
He's like, hey, man, as soon as y'all get, you know, as soon as they get that African trade dance together, I'll take you to the dance. Like, I'm ready to go because he provides uh, heavy equipment to um, the mining industry. So, like, cat? Yeah. In fact, he was one of the, uh, the, one of the mentors that he had was from Caterpillar, West Towers, who owns Caterpillar of Knoxville. So, and so he so, was. Uh, so he the was company a, I work for, our biggest customer is Cat. Yeah. Most of our most of our executive team, in fact, my direct boss is a Caterpillar alum. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so you start looking at that, and there he's like, "Hey, African Trade Desk, I'm down with that." Yeah. Because I want to go to the mines are his big customer. That's the people, that's the place where he wants to sell to. And so I'm like, yeah, so I'll let you know as soon as they establish it, I want to tap, take all my companies here that I've been interacting with and say, hey, here's some opportunities for you. Yeah. It, 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 it is just about opportunities. But I was just speaking specifically from a black lens. And there, there's this, it's, it's so hot you can't ignore it. No, you really can't. You can't ignore it. And I, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, and, 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 and they need so many different things in Canada sure. that a small company in East Knoxville can come in and provide the world. Sorry. That's, that's the, that's the thing that I think we're missing is there's so many of those opportunities because all the other cultures in Canada have been around. So their legacy, they're kind of, the systems are built. Right. This is a fresh new system that I think many, I want to see joint programming back and forth because... No, that would be beneficial. And I think it's really necessary because for people who don't have any background and experience, this gives them a leg up, an opportunity to work with someone in that area. And they don't have to take on so much of the risk themselves. What I see is a lot of business owners, they go in and say, I want to do it all my way. And they take on so much risk and they end up shooting themselves in the foot because they don't know what they don't know. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say I agree. I'm agreeing with you. Having been that business owner in the past, right? And I mean, I mean, let's face it, right? It takes a certain amount of bravado to be an entrepreneur in the first place. True. So you already think you're special, right? Because four out of five small businesses fail, right? So you you automatically think you're the one out of five. Mm-hmm. But the status quo is the status quo for a reason. Right. Right. And sometimes there's a very good reason that you may not be aware of until you get a little further on down the road, which is what I discovered. It was like, oh, that's that's why it works that way. Okay. Yeah. So having that network in place or having somebody that can kind of hit fast forward on your learning curve. That's key. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that, so that's that why you, you don't make that discovery. Yeah. Right. right. You don't make yeah. that discovery. The hard way. The and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, that absolutely. mentorship is 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 key, and that's and that I think that's just a, to me, it's a business. It's it's the diversity, is a business case to me. It, that's the that's the value proposition, and inclusion is the engine of that, right? And you can't, and you can't be on one side or the other. You can, but you're gonna limit yourself. Like, you can't be so pro-black, I'm not going to partner with somebody in the other community. Like, that's crazy. Like, that doesn't, that's not who we are anyway. No. No. And we don't have enough economic base to be able to do that. I mean, no. no, no, I don't know about that. I don't agree about that. I don't know about that. I don't think so. You don't have somebody going to run up on you and shoot you in front of your own store before you'll get people to help. Right. Again, I still don't feel like we have enough economic base no, with that. I mean, I understand. Yes, we do. One point, I, look, one point two trillion dollars is a pretty decent economic base. Yeah, that, and, but it ain't for money. That's a problem. But it's not. That's they not can't the stop issue. living off of it. So that, right. that they can count that. And that's why, in respect of being able to say, in order to run a business, you can't base it on what people are using as their lifestyle expenses. You have to be able to look at what their disposable is, and that disposable means that we have to be able to start looking. And thinking outside of the box. Yeah, you gotta have a product that's ubiquitous. Unless you can supplant something that they're already buying. using. Right, right, right. right. Like and you change already that. buying a phone, here's a better one. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Other than that, it's disposable. Yeah. And even still you gotta create a level of brand loyal uh, name um 
brand loyalty so people start getting familiar with it. And that yeah. takes time. Yeah. So, you know, you definitely want to be able to leverage an opportunity first and then learn the tricks of the trade before you decide that you're going to strike out and do something on your own, I, in my opinion. And yeah, I was just making sure we got the same thing. Yeah. But I'm telling you, it is wide open. And and what I see here, I'm seeing people get in. I'm, one of the things I'm really happy about, I am seeing people do different things. We had this conversation about, I, especially, you know, black entrepreneurs. I really want to see them be more diverse in their thought patterns of the type of businesses that they have. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, Martin Way is an inventor here. Okay. Right? Now, if you see him and you ask him about his business, he'll tell you, you know, he does home improvement and he's really like a really good tile guy. Like hmm. He lays tile better than anybody in town. However. But my partner has like three patents already. Well, I know he has two two patents and like a ton of different devices he's already created. Cool. That are amazing. No, they're not. Do with tile. <laughs> no, they do. Oh, some they of do. them do. Some of them don't. He's got this thing that keeps. You know how you're. You know you flush the toilet mm -hmm. and it'll splash. Okay. Like that's the nastiest thing you can do is not put the lid down before you flush. Did you realize that? Mm. I do now. You do not. That's why we get colds and flus in the house. Hmm. It's from the toilet. You need to put the lid down, and not just flush. after you pee, brothers. But <laughs> put the lid down before you flush, period. Gotcha. Because it just, the particles, Flying I saw this report and it showed how the particles. Interesting. Anyway, he's got this Thank thing you. that goes in the toilet <laughs> mm -hmm. to keep that spray from coming up. Okay. Nobody's ever invented it. And he did. And it works. He gave me one. He said, hey, just take that home and try it. I tried this thing. You can put your hand and flush the toilet, nothing. You take your hand off and flush the toilet, you're like, whoa, I got all this stuff on my hand. Hmm. It's crazy. And then he created another product called FlowSync that allows you, you know, if you're tiling a floor up, second floor or whatever, what do you need? Fresh water. Okay. The FlowSync goes into a bucket mm -hmm. and keeps that bucket with clean, fresh, fresh water. water. Okay. And pumps out the dirty water. Instantly, huh. while you're tiling. So, so you, you constantly have, have constantly fresh water have fresh and you don't water. have to stop your job. And you don't have to take that bucket of dirty water, which is normally what happens, and pour it down somebody's sink or pour it down their toilet and it's got grout in it, which does what? Clogs Clog up it the pipes. Mm -hmm. So is it a pump and a filter that you like change the filter? Dude, it's crazy. He's or is he just pumping it out into something else? It, he's, it, it pumps out. Does all of that, and he's here and locally. Got, yeah, and he's locally, and, he's and so I think, yeah, and so I think, Amazing. to the extent you got, you know, Tanika Harper has a whole lot of stuff that yeah. she's doing. You've got, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I remember talking to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, she's so, got great products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my my fiance and I's company that you know we do, we make things. The more that black entrepreneurs can start getting into making things the better we're going to see some of the other pieces in our community clean up because then we can hire. Because if we're not manufacturing stuff, sure. then all we're doing is servicing a ready-made market. We're servicing the market that's already there, which is, to me, there's nothing against that. There's nothing wrong with that, you know, but to get to those, to that big economic development piece. Sure, sure. We need to be making things. Andre Gist is a good friend of mine. He has the largest uh, black-owned company in Tennessee. I think Minority Company. He has 1,400 employees. Mm -hmm. He makes 50% of the car seat, the backing of a car seat in the country. It's made by his company here in Tennessee. So... If we have multiple companies like that, we can finance scholarships. We can do a lot of this hard work and heavy lifting that needs to be done on mm -hmm. the social justice side of the house and just the quality of life for black folk, period. Because as our quality of life comes up, we begin to affect the quality of life of other people that are in the same situation as us. So we can have an influence on what happens to poor people in the rural areas. We can have an influence on the Hispanic uh, population we have an influence on anybody that's underserved and poor um, and and 
from an economic standpoint, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, not one of those that thinks that black people should live on an island and separate from our, from everybody else and have this hands-off approach. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that works, but I do buy into the fact that poor, you know, our folks in the rural areas, the folks in the inner city, on paper, look the same to me. You know, they, they're mm-hmm. having the same issues. And, and so to the extent that we can start making stuff and then the rural area says, hey, we can help you with this. And then, hey, we can, this community says, hey, we can offer this. We got labor force. Hey, if you, if you make it, we'll come work. So, you know, to the extent that we can kind of figure those things out around manufacturing, I, I just don't think we should be scared to do that because we work on the production lines. Right. Right? We sweep the floors. There's those of us that are engineers, we're engineering the stuff that they make on the product line. We're, we're involved in every part of the manufacturing process. Why are we not ma- why are we not makers? Mm. And and so that's that's a piece that really, you know, I don't work in that space. I'm not a manufacturer. I've never been in a manufacturing shop, so I don't have expertise there. I just it's just something that I want to see happen because that the manufacturers hire people. Manufacturers yeah, I mean, where the jobs are. They mm-hmm. tend to uh, tend to have a lot of a uh, lot of capital. Yeah, they a lot they, of capital. Yeah, front, it's big lots deal. of expensive equipment, inventory, and then even your carrying, you know, your um, your operating costs. I mean, power. You know, well, water, and then and think like about that. it. If you had a manuf- a black-owned manufacturing plant in Knoxville that had fifteen hundred employees, oh my God, think about the economic impact that would do for the black community. That's huge. Sure, that's what killed East Knoxville anyway, is getting rid of the manufacturing companies, getting rid of Levi, getting right. rid of, you right. know, the standard knitting mill, getting rid of the brickyard. Those are all companies. As soon as they left the inner city and the community, they fell apart. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was it's, you know, it's almost like a dagger to the culture of the community. So, mm-hmm. so I just, I want us to look I at different things. Serving companies too. is another one. Surveying uh, companies? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I don't, you know, being able to go out and do surveys of real estate and property, mm-hmm. and, you know, those are things you can go and learn. Right? Um, so. so when we were talking earlier, you were talking about um, things that you, or businesses that you uh, want us to get away from starting. As far as things that have been repeated, yeah. You go into I mean, here's the thing: you can only have so many janitorial companies. You can only have so many hair um, salons. You can only have so many landscape companies. Well, right? see, those typically have the the lowest barriers. To entry, they're they're, right? they're low barriers I mean, to entry, and I'm not going to tell people, "Oh, don't do that," and whatever. But do it, but. Do it so you're using that as a basis to get somewhere else. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, if you contrast those two, like a service business, like a landscaping company, right? So you and your buddies are going to go cut grass. Everyone chips in $1,500. You go buy some lawnmowers and you go cut, right? And that's pretty much all there is to it. And and it's it's very easy to manage, right? But your, so you can your, take that uh, same $1,500 investment between three of you all, send one of you to school, buy survey equipment and say we'll be the field hands and now we got this surveying company i mean but even that that's like what a four-year project i mean i don't know how long the school is i don't know if you're talking about right but it's not going to take it's not going to take long to get to oh so i didn't know if you meant like civil engineering no i'm talking about surveying yeah just just the guys surveying i mean i know a guy that does some of that and he's making a killing He's, a, he's worn it all over the country. He travels everywhere. He's got a crew of guys. They're all certified, and they just go out and... Sh- you can't dig till you survey it. You can't build till you survey it. Right. You can't chop till you survey it. You can't dig till you survey it. You're all, it's recession-proof type businesses, and those are the things I want people to look at, those, those businesses that are recession-proof. Now, you know, I had the idea for the chimney sweep. 
like in respects of there's only I think there's technically only two chimney sweeps mm-hmm. servicing the whole city of Knoxville and it's 1.2 million people right or no we're just barely eight, at a million nine, we're about 850 okay for the region okay but in that respect that is in my mind that's an industry where it just baffles me that there's only two that service all 800,000 people in well, this area. We have a lot of legacy chimneys, right, that need to be replumbed. Right. So it's a good market, but, you know, again, that's a that's a different one, right? Um, heating and air. It's just, they're, they're, I, you know, you, you talk about, yeah, the, you know, janitorial stuff is kind of low barrier to entry, but that's, I'd, I'd want to do that to create the cash Mm-hmm. Right, and for me to learn the business acumen, I need to know to kind of, you know, take care of customers, learn process, and, and then I trans. While I'm doing that, I'm going to HV. I'm going to HVAC school. That's if so- I could start all over again at 20, I'll be HVAC. I'll be in HVAC and be the largest black-owned HVAC company in the state of Tennessee because the pathway to get there is there. Yeah, it's it's a lot simpler. Well, those are related, right? Because they're they're both more or less service or I don't know if you really would class it like new HVAC install. Yeah, that's kind right? of that's kind technical. of construction. Yeah, that's kind of technical. Right? But if you're servicing what's already there, it's still a service business like landscaping right. business. Right. right? When right. you talk about manufacturing, well, now you got to worry about you got to worry about your balance sheet and you know you, you got to worry, worry about, about a lot. Sheet. A you lot of about other. that on any business. Well, I mean, I, I, I this, get what you're saying. You know, it's like if you're talking about a landscaping company, what's going to be on your assets? Like what, ten grand, maybe? I mean, if you got lot, if you got equipment and you're using your personal truck or something like that, you'd go to do manufacturing. You're going to have hundreds of thousands of dollars of stuff. Right, it's equipment. But that's where you partner. Because here's the thing. Let me tell you one thing that the rural community has that we have not leveraged at all is legacy equipment. I just seen a gentleman who bought a dump they truck. They got legacy equipment and don't have legacy accounts. Mm. <laughs> you look at the you look at the unemployment rate in the rural area. Now, once you get past the three, four, six, five, six percent that everybody's saying it is, and look underneath at the type of labor jobs that they're working, they're not they're not doing well. Like they're not they're not getting out of their situation. Why do you think opioids is rav- ravishing the that area, the, the rural area? It, it's, it's no respecter of person. It's just like crack just happened to ravish the black community. Crack don't care. It would have ravished any community. It just started there, mm-hmm. right? It just it 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 preys on people that are poor. That's what drugs does. It preys on people that are poor. It preys on everybody. Not not you don't have to be poor to but it really wreaks havoc havoc because those people don't have the ability to get a second chance they don't have the ability to get help they don't have the, the money to pay for the treatment centers and the okay let me go get myself right again and i had to pay for my daughter to go to rehab and it cost sixty thousand dollars like those of us in the inner city in the rural community sixty thousand dollars ain't even that's not happening Mm-mm. And so, you know, that's why MLK was trying to bring poor whites. And there was this movement called, I want to get this name right. I want to say it was called the Fusion Movement. And it lasted for a very short period of time during Reconstruction. I think it was the Fusionist. Okay. You need to watch the Reconstruction series. It's on PBS that Henry Louis Gates did. And the Boston... No, not the boss about entrepreneurship. This is about reconstruction. Okay. It's just called reconstruction. Okay. And in that story, there was this whole movement. I had never seen this before. There's a whole movement of poor whites and blacks, and there's pictures of them standing together, and they had united in labor teams, um, united in, in business teams to help one another because they were in the same boat. And this is before the mass media started saying, oh, well, you're more privileged than black, so you need to come over here and you right. need to come over here and you need to everybody's die. working together and but solve they were problems. working together to solve problems and mm-hmm. that to me is what I'd love to see that again sure I would because dude 
Everybody's got a friend in the rural community. I do. Do y'all? Y'all got some quote unquote redneck mm-hmm. buddies yeah. up in Claiborne County or Scott County or somebody that lives in Newport or I do. I got plenty of them. And guess what? I can call them and they're good people with great hearts and they're smart. They may not be book smart, but they're street smart. They're country smart. Mm-hmm. And having a farm in rural Georgia, you're dependent on having those relationships. So sure. You have to have these functional relationships with other people to get things done. Right. And I'm telling you, I, these cats got equipment. Don't have the access to the urban accounts. You know? Mm-hmm. They're working in their little area and... Hey man, I see you got a backhoe and a bulldozer and this. I just went to school for excavation. Maybe we can partner. I know how to write the contracts. Right. You know how to push this dirt. Mm. Let's get this money. Let's go get this money together. Right. And then, well, hell, I got another buddy that's got this. Right. He ain't using it. Mm. Well, what can we work out with him? Sure, sure. And so they're, they're, these are just—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm, I'm being facetious a little, but it's—it's it's, it's, that's what these are the. the this the is drive. this is what entrepreneur does is solve problems, right? Right, and it doesn't matter what the problems are. And those fusionists did—I think that's what their term was. It's called fusionist. Yeah, it was in. Well, what I what I was just reading was about a uh, North Carolina. Um, I didn't know if it was limited to North Carolina because I would just did a Wilmington was one of the last bastions where you saw whites and blacks together um, and, and blacks still in political leadership after the reconstruction, after the wedging and Jim Crow. Yeah, that, that didn't end so well. No, it did not. It did not. And, and so that's what, but what I'm saying is I think, you know, the, all the other political stuff aside, I think entrepreneurship, business is business. Business is business, and business is, to me, entrepreneurship is the number one equalizer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Doug, thank you. Thank you so very much for that. I think we got tons of value, information, ideas, inspiration from you speaking with us today. I definitely appreciate you taking the time to come over here, and it's always a pleasure to see you. I'm so grateful and so thankful to have you as my friend. I love the Robin movement. Yay! This is so dope. I love your name. I think the branding is dope. Like, I want to see you guys really get out there. And I think um, I'm definitely going to introduce you to some folks in Canada. Definitely. There's a guy up there called uh, Dr. Vibe. Dr. Vibe has a similar type podcast. People from all over the world. Gotcha. They cover all kind of stuff. And he would love to hook up with y'all. Like, Please connect. I, that's why I'm saying there's this renaissance going on because everybody's kind of, I see all these podcasts and, you know, live videos and different things. And, you know, to you be get fair, three or like, four of those together, then you start, it's like, wait a minute, I don't have to watch TV no more. Right. I can just hang with y'all and get the information I need or ask a question and you guys respond it back. And then, sure. you know, you can really start affecting people's lives. Well, well, like you said before, it's a lot, it's easy now. Right, so you do it from your phone, you do the podcast, shoot the podcast off a couple. We were getting like a couple hundred downloads of the podcast, and now we've started doing a live broadcast. And you, you know, you get out, you reach people, and it's mm-hmm. all it costs is some time, mm-hmm. right? And there's and another cat, he has a company called BIA, <laughs> BIA Media, they have a whole studio set up just to broadcast information and news, yeah, 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 it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of the agents, the reps are doing that. They're doing it for their own marketing videos and they just have their technology, their studio set, laid out, you know, perfectly. So it's, you know, no problems, no, you know, technical glitches. It's like Diossi's podcast. And that's the way that you guys ran yours. Mm -hmm. Don't ask. Um, But But I'm just saying that all of those things are great because it allows some exposure and, you know, allows us to. You know, get information out. That's what it's about. It's, it's, it's crowded space. Yeah, it's easy to get started, but to get top of mind awareness oh, and yeah, get above the confusion and the fray and all the 
smoke screens and you know competition in business you gotta have your network you gotta have that village to support you and put you expressing you throughout their network Definitely. So you can Dr. Vibe, here we come. Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> On the way. Get, hey, y'all, get y'all passports. Come you on. got it. You got come it. Come visit, and then let's figure out. And, and again, I, you know, again, I want to bring, <laughs> I want to bring right Canada now. to East Tennessee. <laughs> right. You know, I don't want them to steal all our people and take them up there. I yeah. want them to come down here. We got. You see, that's wonderful. Point, that was the diversity. Point, that's the diversity. That was the diversity because I mean, a lot of people don't know that Doug was running a basic underground railroad shuttle tour from the south all the way up to Toronto, so people can stop at all these different places. I mean, that's what we have to I be able to. That. Yeah, yeah, and there was even a bed and breakfast where it was like you got a place for you to stay, and we'll take you on the tour and bring you back. And he's doing these wonderful things. It was like, wow, it's so outside of the box and it's so innovative. And that's why I love to have you to talk because I definitely want to just glean a little bit off of your, your shine and maybe improve my own yes. business strategies. Hey, you know, I tell, I tell people I end with this. I tell people, you know, any success I've had is because of somebody else. It wasn't me. I'm dumb. It was because somebody else believed in what I was doing and wanted to help. And, you know, the chamber has been an amazing advocate for me. You know, you can say what you want to, but they let me express myself completely That's and awesome. unabashedly. And I appreciate that. And um, I try to give it back. But the thing, thing that I tell people, a lot of times when people see you on the news or TV or newspapers or whatever, oh, you the man, man, you the man, you the man. And then, and then I hear a lot of people that get on news and get on TV, I'm the man, mm. right? And mm. I'm like, no, we the man. And we get to that we piece, and I mean that man piece, one man, too, right? Mm -hmm. We the man. And if we can get to that we piece... It's lights out. We can do whatever we want to do. Sounds like a party. So let's Sounds get to like the, let's party. get to that wee piece. I'm with it. I'm with it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining us today, man. I'm being. It was a lot of good information. Of course, we got CT here in the spot. CT, you got a final thought on uh, today's podcast? Um, man, today's been a real good podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Doug, for coming. Uh, sprinkling us with that knowledge that you have, man. I do greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. And you're giving us a, a vision of what we're, where we want to take it. Um, I want to make sure everybody just understands, man. He, he put it out there. Entrepreneurship is the equalizer. It is. So mm -hmm. we need to work together as far as getting to a place where we are being our own bosses, getting our businesses, but understanding you have to work together to get to the ultimate goal. You showed us that. I would stress that a lot, man, because, yeah, you have people who out here saying they are self-made, but no one, again, is self-made. You have to have somebody in your corner, on your team, yeah. that is looking to push you to success and get you to your goals. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And we have Mr. Marcus Blair to join us today. So happy to have him. I'm so sorry we just kind of got started without you, but we knew you was going to be coming yeah, here. Yeah, I had to make it. Um it, you know, it's been a good week this past week. I got a, I finished my Six Sigma black belt, for those of you who know about statistics. What? Yeah. See? Congratulations. Right. We started talking about manufacturing. You over there with a Six Sigma. See, you sneaky. <laughs> That's why I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, manufacturing is a little different than um, But, oh, for a, a closing thought this week, um, I was going to put it out there. A lot of people this year got caught out with those tax law changes. Right, and then people ended up paying taxes and whatnot who were used to giving refunds and all this sort of stuff. So the IRS ain't done. They're about to do it to you again. They are changing the W-4. Um, and it was supposed to it was supposed to release in 2019. They pushed it back to 2020. So they are going to change the W-4. Pay attention because it is going to look a lot like filing your taxes right now. It is not just going to be this, how many dependents do I have? How many is going to be withheld? So go Google it, look it up, do your homework, get ready. That's my closing thought. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you for that, sir. Thank you for that. Here we go. Yeah, you know, 
Well, this is the big thing because if then it comes back to me. You know, I'm all about that money, 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 money. Hey, I'm, I'll be the first one, if not the last one, to tell you, please get out of your 401k plans. I don't care about your free match anymore because when it all comes down and it's dead to it, you've got to remember your tax, your Trump tax is going to sunset in 2026. Medicare is going to go broke in 2026. Taxes will increase in 2027. The baby boomers year peak in 2027. Does anybody see a pattern here? Do you see a reason for taxes to go up? I can hang out and do nothing for the next six years. Is that what you're saying? You can hang out and do, but six <laughs> years from now, you probably want to make We're sure. To make some changes. And, and then on top of that, you know, the tax rates go up, interest rates go up, the market decline, and then Social Security goes broke in 2034. By the way, I retire in 2040. So when it's all said and done, you probably want to make sure that you are planning and sitting down with someone and talking about your financial plan because I don't know where you're going to be in those various years, mm -hmm. but your plan is going to be based on your unique individual vision. So you know you can always find me at IamWealthyNow.com and you can always go to the contact and meetings page and schedule a phone appointment with me complimentary. That means free. But Doug, <laughs> any final thoughts? I love y'all, man. That was, yeah. This was a lot of fun. Cool, Appreciate cool, it. cool. Big, big honor to be on the ramen movement. It's a pleasure. I need my t-shirt. I need my ramen. Man, movement. it's on the way. We got, ramen we got movement you. Ramen t-shirt. Yeah. You know, so I can have some swag, right? We already okay. talked about All getting right. that ready. Yes, indeed. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, Mr. Brantley Taylor, we're sorry we missed you. Mr. Tim Allen, we wish you had been here as well. But we definitely enjoyed everybody joining the um, cast with us today. We look forward to seeing you on next week. God bless and make lots of money. Peace.